Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the way that you walk with us through some of life's uh, darkest hours. When the questions seem numerous and uncertainty is all around. And our faithfulness can even wane. Lord, I thank you that you are beside us, walking with us, standing with us, and going before us. That you are sovereign over all of our circumstances. That you are in control and all-knowing. Lord, I, I pray that this morning as we open your word, you would give us comfort in those realities. Help us to see ourselves in light of your word. Lord, allow that challenge to set deep and lift us up into your truth. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you ever found yourself in those times when it seems like your questions are substantially greater than the answers? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're praying and you get all those why questions. Why is it so hard to find a job? Why is it so hard to pay the bills? Why won't the kids just get along? Why are are there these major earthquakes that, that cause tsunamis that just wreak havoc on nations. Why, why do you allow that? What about those who serve you? What about the children that we receive prayer requests for in cancer and blood clots and accidents? Why do you allow that? And it, just, it seems to just grow and grow in our hearts and the uncertainty gets deeper and deeper of these questions of why. Well, this is very much where I've been personally. And I've always said I would preach out of what I was dealing with, and this is where I am. I'd love to say it's just about uh, what's happening to others in Japan or what's happening in our own body with the prayer requests that are needed. To, to be honest, it's pretty self-centered, my questions. Uncertain of what God has for us. Uncertain about what He's doing. What's His plan? What's His purpose? Not really seeing the future come together, as I thought. And so a lot of my prayer life is about why. I'd love to say it's my first time here as well. You know, I've never been here. This is a new place, but it's not. I've actually been here quite a few times in my life. And I suspect I'll be there many more times in the future. But whenever I find myself asking these questions of why, I always go to the same place. To gain perspective. And that's in Job 38. So if you would turn there with me this morning. You'll notice the bulletin says 38 through 42. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Okay? It's a lot. We're going to be kind of jumping around in there. I want us to get a big picture of what's the flow of the conversation that's happening between this man, Job, and God. Just to give you a little bit of background, Job, it says, was a righteous man. He pursued God and and he turned away from evil. He would ask God to forgive him, and and even in fact, he had seven sons and three daughters. And if they had a nice uh, house party, then he would even offer a sacrifice for them, just in case they got a little bit too rowdy and decided to say something against God. He wanted to make sure that the sins were were covered. I mean, this was the kind of man that, that, that was seeking God. It even describes him as blameless and upright. He wasn't a wicked man, he wasn't evil. And God actually made him prosper. 
He had lots of wealth and in land and livestock. He had a secure future. And so Satan comes to God and he says, Well, of course Job loves you. I mean, look at all this stuff you've given him. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, if your bank account's full, your house is peaceful, everything's going well. Yeah, we love God. But Satan says, take all that away and see what happens. So God gives Satan permission. And a house falls and kills all of his children. All of his livestock, crops, servants, gone. Till it's him and his wife. Then Job becomes so sick that sores cover his body. So gruesome that his wife would look at him and say, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, just get it over with. Put yourself out of the misery. Just curse him and be done with it. Three friends come to to visit, hearing of the catastrophe that happened. Seeing Job suffering, they won't even speak for seven days. I mean, this is bad. Right? And then their encouragement goes something like this. Well, obviously God would not allow this to happen unless there was sin in your life. So confess the sin and God will restore. And Job's like, no, I, I, I haven't sinned. There's no known sin. But God has still allowed this calamity to happen. And so as this discussion happens throughout the book, it grows in Job this question of, of why. Not if God is, is good or not, but, but why did he allow it? And so here in, in chapter 38 is God's response to all those questions of why. Now, before we jump in, I do want you to see just two things quick, because it would be possible in the 300 plus questions that God asked, of which we're not going to read all of them, just, just want to remind you, just stay with me, is, is the relational aspect of God. The word that's used here for Lord, you'll probably see it, it's all in capitals in that first verse in chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, it's Yahweh. It's this covenant-making, promise-keeping God. It's not just this God at a distance that's saying, yes, you're suffering, but I'm over here. It's a God who engages, a God who gets involved with His creation. This is necessary to see because it's not like God is just slapping Job to knock some sense into him and walking away. He's drawing close to him. And He's saying some rather hard things to him. In, in the process. And, and it can seem like he's just yelling at him, but I think the tone is different. I want to make sure we understand the tone of how God is approaching Job in his sufferings to understand. The other thing is, is God's kind of funny. He's sarcastic in some of the questions he asks. I want you to like listen for this. It's just a good thing to keep in mind. God does have a sense of humor and he's not afraid to use it. I mean, sometimes we don't think of God in that way. But as you walk with Him, you'll begin to see that. that So many examples that I won't give about this. But one thing I do want you to see is it said, When God asked, He begins, "Who uh, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And here it is in verse 3, Dress for action like a man, and I will question you and you make it known to me. Now, this is a great phrase. If you're reading the NIV, it says, gird up your loins. Now, what this is actually saying is they would wear a robe, right? And so he would hike it up and tuck it into his belt. And what it was saying is, you got to get ready for work. You're going to break a sweat. You're not just going for a stroll. 
you're about to do some heavy lifting, right? But not just that, but there's this thing called belt wrestling. And it's an ancient form of wrestling. And if you're a teenage boy, you'll want to listen to this, okay? What they did is that they like tied a, a loose belt around themselves, okay? And it was like a sash type thing. And if you go to YouTube, you can see some great videos of where this is starting to come back. And so what they would do is they would lock around each other. And so you have this belt around you and you wrap your arm around it. And the point is to put the other person on the ground. So you'll see them, you have leverage on them because you have a hold of this belt and you can lift them up and flip them around and then body slam them. Okay? So this is what God's saying. He's like, okay, dress for action like a man. We're about to go toe to toe. Okay? I mean, this is what's happening. They're going to be locked into this thing. And God's about to take them down. It's kind of like that best friend. You know, like, if I had a bad game in basketball, okay, missed every shot, couldn't get a rebound, couldn't make a pass, couldn't do anything, my mom would still come up and say, great game. You tried hard, man. You tried. You were playing hard. You were giving it your all. My best friend's going to come up to me and say, you stunk. Bad. Like, you were supposed to be playing basketball out there. Right? I mean, they love you. They want to see you do well, but they're going to tell you straight. This is what God's doing. He, he's, he's telling Job like it is. In a relational way. Not as an enemy, but in relationship. Okay, so there's three things that I want you to see, and it's going to be like three coins. We're going to look at each side of this coin. So each one will have a, a topic to it. And the first side's going to be what we're not. The other side is what God is of each of these. It's kind of like, you know, the kid at school who would say, I know you're not, I know you are, but what am I kind of argument. It's almost as if God is saying, I know you're not, but I am in each of these. I I know you're not, but I am. The first one is sovereign. It's the first line of questioning that God gives to Job. So, and he's asking, so uh, are, are you sovereign? Meaning this, let me find uh, where my definition is. It says, do we have the supreme independent power and authority to govern, in this case, everything? Like normally it would mean if we use your sovereign over something, you have the independent authority and power to govern a territory, a home, a department, you're the, the final say. You're not responsible to anybody else. You have total authority. In this respect, sovereign means sovereign over everything. Power and authority, independent from any outside force. You are the final word. Okay? So this is where God's questioning leads. We'll pick it up in chapter 38, verse 4. And notice how big... When God steps back and asks about sovereignty, this is where he goes. So where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, I mean, if you have understanding, right? Who determined its its measurements? Because surely you know. Do you see the sarcasm here? Just want to make sure you're with me. You do kind of see that, right? (laughs) This is God kind of saying, right, all wise Job, you know what I'm talking about. Where where are those foundations again? Where, Where did I lay them? He says, and who stretched out the line upon it? And what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, or caused the dawn to know its place? He goes on, and this is in chapter 40, then verse 8 kind of picking up this same theme about sovereignty and the ability to, to govern. Will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together and bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge you. For you, for your own right hand can save you. And then you say, uh oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> Lots of questions, can't answer any of them. Trouble. And that's pretty much what, what Job says. Like halfway through all the questions, <laughs> Job gave the answer. He says, okay, I, I'm small. <laughs> he says, I'm a small of count. Uh, what? I can't answer you. I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth and shut up. Is pretty much what he says, right? But you notice that's not good enough. Silence before the sovereignty of God and His greatness is not sufficient. Silence isn't enough. And so God continues. And not only is he saying, well, are you sovereign? He's also going to say, well, okay, so you, don't, you can't have independent authority and power over everything. But at least you know everything, right? At least you are all-knowing. You have knowledge, don't you? If we have all of these questions, you at least have knowledge. And so we ask in chapter 38, beginning in verse 16, just to make sure to see the depth of our knowledge, how far it extends. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness? that you may take it to its territory, that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, right? I mean, you were born then, weren't you? Because the number of your days are obviously very great. <laughs> no. <laughs> my questions would assume, my questions personally, before God would assume that I really have a whole lot more wisdom than I have. Actually, I don't know any of those things. I don't know where darkness and light is stored. I can't move them at will. I don't understand very much at all, actually. Though I think I do. 
I mean, I would like God to do things the way I want them done. And there's this weight that comes by those realities, isn't it? When we realize how little we really know. But God still isn't finished yet. Okay, so we're not sovereign. So we're not all-knowing. But at least we have control, don't we? I love this definition because I wish it were true. But it's not. It says literally, speaking of control, the power and ability to manage, influence, and direct people or things according to your desires. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) If only that were true. But thank God it's not, because I would be happy, but probably nobody else. And I really wouldn't be happy at all. And so God begins to ask, okay, well, how much control do you really have? And I want you to see how this moves, because he starts really big. Well, can you control this big stuff? Uh, This stuff? Or how about this small stuff? And he kind of like brings it in, and the whole time you're like, no, okay, problem. If you look at the end of chapter 38, beginning in verse 31, God starts very big, speaking again to our control. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Meseroth in their season? And can you guide the bear with its children? The constellations here. I mean, can you use them like glitter? Move them around? Do do you know the ordinances of the heavens? And can you establish their rule over the earth? I mean, if you were in Sunday school, imagine the things that we've seen of the stars, the galaxies, the universe. Do we have the ability to move them, to adjust them, even to comprehend what exists? No less the ability to control them at our will. Well, obviously, we say, no, can't control that. Okay, well, what about here on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that the flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the the inward parts? Or give understanding to the mind? So he starts saying, on the earth, well, can you control the clouds? Can you control lightning? Bring it here, send it there? No? No? Well, what about the person sitting next to you? Can you control them? No. Then it's like, so what can we control? That's kind of the question that it comes to, isn't it? I mean, this is in the midst of great suffering that Job has endured. And these are the challenges that God is giving him. Well, you're not sovereign over these things. You don't really understand what's going on. And you can't control anything yourself, and yet you're going to question me? Really? And then Job responds with this, no longer in silence. He says, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is God's sovereignty, isn't it? God has a purpose. He has a plan. And whatever that is, it cannot be thwarted. In any way. In this sovereignty, it, it's, a, it's a hope and a comfort. In light of our sufferings, God is not just removed from it, but He draws close. And yes, we are not sovereign, 
We don't have authority and power over those things, but he does. And then look how um, Job continues to the question in verse 3 of, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job responds, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I mean, that's the truth. Not just silence. But to admit that I just don't understand. Why does God allow these things? I don't know. I mean, it, it's easy to say, oh, they were, were they wicked? I had one, one gentleman ask me that. Well, was this a bad part of Japan? I mean, some like to say that about Haiti, wasn't it? Oh, voodoo. It helps us to make sense of it. But is that true? What did Job do? I mean, the weight starts to set on you, doesn't it? There was one pastor who told a friend of ours that she had a brain tumor because of sin in her life. Really? Is that really wise counsel? Godly counsel? We don't have an answer for everything. I just, I don't know. I don't understand the purposes of God. I don't know what He has planned. I don't know what the future holds. And, and that's okay. I mean, if God is sovereign, if He's in control, if He's all-knowing, then what's our response in the midst of our own sufferings? Job said, I heard of you. By the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isn't that ultimately what happens? When we, we just say, I'm not those things. I'm not sovereign. I'm not all knowing. I'm not in control. But you are, and we submit to that. And we say, I trust you. You know, I was listening yesterday. There was a pastor who was being interviewed on MSNBC. And the interviewer kept asking him this question. Tell me, in your perspective, is God sovereign but unkind? Or is he kind and not sovereign? And he went on to clarify this. Meaning, in in direct relationship to Japan, if God is kind then he's not sovereign because he allowed it to happen. But if God is sovereign and he allowed it, then he must not be kind. So which is he? Unfortunately, this gentleman could not give an answer. And he tried to him and haw. And the reality is God is kind and he is sovereign and we don't understand I don't know how it all works together. Our hope is not in our ability to comprehend our sufferings. Our hope is in the God who is sovereign, all-knowing, and in control. That's our hope. And that's what we lean on in times. And that's how we should encourage each other. Of not just trying to bring our own thoughts to it, our own human wisdom, but to lead them to God, saying, just to cry with somebody to wrestle with them through these issues. 
that leads us into relationship with God. I realize that these topics are, are difficult. I mean, there, there's a weight that sits in, in my own spirit as I think about the reality of the sufferings that many of you have endured in, in how to minister to that. And so, in closing, I, mean, I don't want to just throw points at it, but there are legitimate questions. And so what I've done is I put together some images that go with a poem by John Piper. It's a poem that was called The Misery of Job and the Mercy of God. And it was a four-part poem, and this is the, the last of the four parts of the poem. And you'll see the title here of the fourth part was Unkindly Has He Kindly Shown Me God. And this is the heart. What I want you to see is, is this poem takes place about six years after the sufferings of Job. And it says that after this repentance of Job, after he kind of acknowledges who God is and, and the questions that he asked, that God asked of Job. The Lord rebuked Job's friends, and then he restored and multiplied Job's prosperity. He gave him seven more children, starting with a little girl named Jemima. And then the Bible says that that was her name, and that was the first child born out of the great loss. This poem takes place about five, six years, six years later, so the daughter's probably about five years old or so, and it's a conversation between a dad and a child wrestling with many of these questions. My hope in closing is that as I, I read this, and I normally don't like to read large portions of text from somebody else, but I just couldn't find a better way to say it, to be honest. It was so meaningful. It was a, a poem that often my kids loved to listen to. That We had on CD and they would say, Hey, can we listen to the story when the house fell and killed all the children? I always thought that was a little bit odd, you know? That my kids would ask for that. But they did and they enjoyed it. <laughs> and so as I, I read it, my, my prayer is that it would comfort. It's not going to answer questions. But it, it is some of the questions we wrestle with in trying to learn who God is in the midst of our suffering, not just getting the answers we want to our suffering. So here's a, the poem by John Piper. Job felt the breeze against his healthy skin. To seize this moment what I think be here an ample recompense. One year of misery, he thought. Is not too long to see of heaven what I've seen and watch the power to heal and loving feel what I now feel. Unless perhaps six years have made the recollected pain to fade and turn the memory of dread into a noble cause and shred the fabric of reality and truth beyond identity. He looked across the fields of wheat and endless rolling hills of sweet green pasture lands for all the herds and flocks and thought. There are no words to speak the substance of my soul and joy to God, nor yet extol his worth above the vast rebirth of all my dreams. 
No dancing mirth can suit or satisfy the kind of tearful pleasure that I find when I recall what I have lost and by his decree and what it costs to see my God. He looked down at the glowing little girl who sat before him on the grass. The first child born to Dinah since she nursed the dead. Job wondered if there might be more in years to come, despite the treasure that Jemima was. He'd sometimes walk the hills of Uz alone and lift his hands and break out singing that the Lord could make a little girl like this from bone and flesh that once could only groan and grieve the loss of every child. The little girl looked up and smiled. What are you thinking, Papa? Job thought for a while and said, You probe, perhaps, Jemima, where the road is rougher and the mental load too heavy for your little mind. I like it, Papa, when you find a story to tell about your life. Why were you sick? I doubt that you would understand, he said. Do you? she asked. Your little head may not perhaps grasp all the why, but it may do us good to try. Your daddy once was very rich, and you had three big sisters, which I loved with all my heart. They died with seven brothers all inside a great big house that fell because a giant wind broke all the laws we thought we knew. How little did we know. And then one day, amid the grief, I got so sick that no one could tell that it was me. I'd done all that I knew to do, but still it came and vexed my soul until I almost lost my faith. Do you think God made you so sick? She drew her breath and swallowed hard. I know you'd like to think that there's a foe that hurts and God that heals, and that would not be wrong. But I have sat and pondered months in pain to see if that is true. If misery is Satan's work and happiness is God's, Jemima, we must bless the Lord for all that's good and bad. But Papa, God's not mean or mad. He's not our enemy. He's kind and gentle, isn't he? Your mind is right, Jemima, but it's small. He's gentle, kind, but that's not all. I have some friends who thought they knew the mind of God and that their view of tenderness exhausted God's and that severity and rods could only be explained with blame to vindicate His holy name. So you think it was God who made you so sick? I think God never laid aside the reins that lie against the neck of Satan nor unfenced His pen to run at liberty but only by the Lord's decree. So you think God was kind to make you sick? Jemima asked. And take away your health and all your sons and friends and, and daughters, all the ones you loved? Jemima, what I think is this. The Lord has made me drink the cup of His severity that He might kindly show to me what I would be when only He remains in my calamity. Unkindly, He has kindly shown that He was not my hope alone. Oh, Papa, do you mean your friends were right? No, no, my child. 
To cleanse an upright heart of toxic stains with searing irons is not like chains laid on the soul in penalty. For guile and crimes no one can see, no. They were wrong. And kindly has the Lord rebuked good Eliphaz. And I have prayed for him and all as well. You see, their minds were small and they could not see painful times apart from dark and hidden crimes. Beware, Jemima, God is kind in ways that will not fit your mind. It's getting late, Jemima, come. I think I hear the bedtime drum. My little theologian deep. It's time to say goodnight and sleep. Oh, but Papa, please, just one more. Would you tell me about the wind that blew, about the whirlwind in the word of God? You told me once, you heard the very voice of God. What did he say? He said, there's giant squid beneath the sea you've never seen. And mountain goats above the green tree line that bring forth kids on cliffs so high and steep that little whiffs of wind would make a human fall. God asked me, is the wild ox all at your command and will he stay the night beside your crib and play or work with you on leashes made of hemp? And have the horses brayed at your command and do you make them leap like locusts? Do they break through shield and chariot because you form their neck? What ancient laws of flight have you designed for hawks? Have you devised the way he walks on the wind and snatches up his prey in flight? Could you ever play with stars to loose Orion sees the distant Pleiades? Where were you, Job, when I with mirth the great foundations of the earth did lay all the sons of God? Rejoice to watch a formless clod become the habitation of my bride. Did you once brood over the waters and appoint their bounds? And have you joined the king who crowns the mammoth sky with morning light? Come, Job, gird up your feeble might and make your case against the Lord. Do you know where the snow is stored or how I make the hail and rain or how a buried seed bears grain? How ravens find their food at night and lilies clothe themselves with white? And finally, my servant Job, can you draw down and then disrobe Leviathan, king of all, the sons of pride, and in his fall strip off his camouflage of strength and make him over all the length of earth and heaven to serve the plan of humble righteousness? I can. I make Leviathan my rod. Beloved Job, behold your God. And what did you say? Papa, when the Lord was done, I said amen and bowed as low as I could bow. Come here, my lass. I'll show you how. And when she crouched before his feet, he picked her up and with a sweet and tender grip, he said, watch this. And on her cheek, he put a kiss. Behold, the mercy of our king who takes from death its bitter sting and by his blood and often ours brings triumph out of hostile powers he paints with crimson earth and soul until the bloody work is whole what we have lost God will restore that and himself forevermore when he is finished with his art the quiet worship of our heart 
When God creates a humble hush and makes Leviathan his brush, it won't be long before the rod becomes the tender kiss of God. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard really to know what to say after that. Your greatness and your magnitude make me want to just sit in silence. And yet, like Job, we just have to confess that we are limited and you are great. Lord, I thank you that though we seem so small and such a big plan that that you valued us enough to take on human flesh be crucified by hands like these and die in our place so that we could have relationship with you Lord I pray that you would help us to make sense of our sufferings in light of who you are not just understanding, but to know you more in the midst of our sufferings, to know you as sovereign, to know you as kind and loving, to feel that tender kiss when we need it most. Lord, help us to draw close to you in relationship. Help us not to pull away with bitterness in our sufferings and our questions, but help us to draw near. God, I pray that you would continue to give us a picture of just how big and great you are and that in light of you, our problems would seem very, very insignificant. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.